Thank you so much, Michael and Erina and all of you, my family, uh, my beautiful, beautiful people uh, in Christ. It's a blessing to be here with you. And I just wanted to um, read something as a sort of statement prayer, just a little um, something that I, that I came across. The only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose to see and love my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. I'm gonna read it one more time. The only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose to see and to love my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. Who can talk about the transfiguration? Jesus certainly did not talk about it and neither did the three disciples who were with him. According to Luke, they kept silent and in those days told no one of the things they had seen. You wonder how Luke ever heard about it himself or whether he questioned the wisdom of even writing it down. The moment he did, it became public property. I want to talk about the transfiguration today. It's just that I don't want to start, paw to start pawing through it for significance or explaining why so-and-so was there, why such-and-such such said this or that. I guess that is all we know how to do with an experience that does not fit any of our categories to just keep handling it until we wear it down to where it feels safe to us or to just keep analyzing it until we can say something intelligent about it. I don't know that I have anything intelligent to say this morning about the transfiguration. But I want to use a couple of stories. And I want you just to remember in the passage of Luke, I'm just gonna read one, one verse. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And this is the part. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed. I used to facilitate youth story circles where young people would see each other through the lenses of story, their stories. The idea was that if kids could tell stories about their lives, they could begin to be to, have, to more easily access their gifts and some of the struggles that they were having. And one of the classic ways to ask was to ask a question of these kids. And so one day I started a circle with this question. What's one fear you're carrying these days? Each person would write the answer anonymously. We would put them in a container, shake them up, and then we would read them out. These were a group of 12 and 13 year olds. And one kid wrote, I am afraid that I am not lovable. 
you to just pause right there. And one kid wrote, I am afraid that I am not lovable. When you read something real, no matter what you see on the surface, it calls to the deep. And when we read these things, you can feel, when we read these things, you could feel the sounding. And these young people got still and they got quiet when they realized that one of their peers had written in a very honest way, I don't feel lovable. There was this one young girl, half her head was shaved and the other half had rainbow colors. And she had been kind of screwing up the whole time, screwing around and we were not really, and she was really not paying attention. And when that was read, she got really, really focused. And I was getting ready to respond to all of the things we had said. And she said, Lenise, can I say something? And I said, yes, of course. And this young woman got up and she started to walk around the circle and look in the eyes of each person. And she said, I don't know who wrote that statement, but I want every one of you in this room to know that I see you and I love you. And it was just this profound moment of this young person hearing the cry of her peers and then hearing her capacity to respond with love where deep spoke to deep, where the cry of the one hurting is heard, where the tears of the one crying are seen by the one offering compassion. The work of transfiguration, I think, is the work of trying to find spaces where reality can break through, where, where who we really are can show up, and we can be seen for who we really are. And we can see love for what it really is. It takes a certain kind of attentiveness and a kind of trusting that God is waiting to show up. A trusting that people's deepest selves are crying and yearning to come to the surface. In spite of all of the cacophony of what they display and what the culture does to them, each one of us is saying, I am focused on what's down in the very deep recesses of your soul. Human beings are prone to test the waters. And you really, are you really there? Are you really listening? Are you really seeing and not just viewing me? Do I really matter? And we have to be available to see the mystery, to bring that depth of humanity up to the surface to see each other completely change form and appear in radiant glory. Stop for just a second and think about the last time that you actually brought the depth of someone's humanity to the surface just by seeing them. That you were able to see someone completely change form and appear in radiant glory. Just imagine that for a minute. Again, that you were able to bring the depth of someone's humanity to the surface and you were able to see 
that person completely change form and appear in radiant glory? How can we recreate honest encounters with others and honest encounters with creation? How do we break out of the shutting down and shutting off? How do we cultivate seeing? How can we learn to see and hear the deeper parts of ourselves and others so that we can move down beneath the images and identities that the culture gives us and we can start to reflect back to each other our unique beauty in the image of God, our true belovedness. What I want you to do right now is just put your hands on yourself and say, you are beloved. Hear God saying to you, you are beloved. You are uniquely created in the image of God. And I love you. There has never been another you. There's not a you, another you now. And there will never be another you. It is not possible for God. It is not possible for any person to ever reduce the mystery of our humanity to nothing, to nothing. So each day I'm trying to be curious for where that mystery is showing up. That's essentially what spiritual direction means to me. And when it's there, I shine a light on it. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed. Another story. I used to work in a residential facility with severely emotionally disturbed children who developed these disturbances because of abuse and or neglect. Children who were removed from their families, some lived on the streets and they were so used to having reflected back to them that they were monsters, that they were unlovable, that in this home, they would act out. They would destroy things. They would hurt themselves and they would hurt others. This is how they knew themselves. But every once in a while, a kid, their deeper self would show up. They would be sitting around a table and some kid would show up late and say, somebody ate all the macaroni and cheese. And another kid would say, here, you can have some of mine. Or I would say, can somebody turn off the lights? And instead of somebody tackling someone else, they would say, I'll do it. And they would go over and turn off the light. And as soon as I saw their deeper self, I would just shine a light. I would pounce on it. Eddie, thank you so much for turning off the light. I really appreciate that. Or David, it was so nice of you to share your mac and cheese. You're really generous. And you're trying to listen and hear and see that deeper self. And you're holding that self as a precious treasure. How do we create space where the longings of people, the deeper images of the self can be revealed, expanded, and known? Transfiguration. Where each of us can be interpreters. Transfiguration. Where each of us can pursue God directly, not 
have somebody mediating between us and God. Not having us having to see God through the eyes of someone else. Not always having a second consciousness. How can we prevent a thousand deaths of misrecognition? That's the goal of transfiguration. Everything that these folks and all folks, everything that we are doing is a response to our own longing for God and our own longing for freedom. Alice Walker said when she was describing all of humanity and creation, she said, everything just trying to be loved. Everything just trying to be loved. So how do we start with a little silence, a little sip of what it is that God wants to do? How do we take a moment to recall our own hope for God's life in the world? How do we work the muscles of receptivity? How do we get a different stance? How do we allow the descent of the spirit into the room, receptive and open and eyes sort of tilted towards God? There are all kinds of ways that we can do this. What can we do? We can take some silence. We can do prayer walks alone. And we can simply say, God, if you exist, I just want to notice you. If you exist, I just want to notice you. How can I look at others with the aim of really noticing God in others? What are we doing? What is transfiguration? To me, it's really that we're trying to create an ecology of relationships an ecology of relationships built on deep seeing, deep compassion, deep reflective capacities. The great thing about listening and seeing is that there are many opportunities a day to practice it and to observe ourselves doing it well or doing it poorly. We all sometimes do it well and we all sometimes do it poorly. The key to good listening and to good seeing is to try to get into a space where we are grounded and connected, centered and present, available, where there's room in us, where the fruits of the spirit are more likely to show up. So first we might take a moment to pause because a lot of times it's like, I just got out of a meeting where the building and the facilities people have found that there is mold in the basement of the church and people in offices in the basement will have to be moved out until the mold is remediated and people in those offices are worried if they're already sick from exposure and, 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 and. I have said for the very last time, and I'm speaking to the ministers and pastors among us, I have said to the, for the very last time that I do not care whether the carpet is blue or green. I do not care. I have said for the very last time that I don't want to spend the bequest that we got from the precious woman that just passed away on maintaining the temperature of the church to preserve 
the molar organs. I think we should use the money that we got as a bequest to redo the kitchen so that we might feed people and help to deal with food insecurity. So we take a moment. That's what I was had to do when I was a pastor. I had to take a moment and I had to pause, right? Because I really wanna be present and I wanna be seeing myself as a conduit of God's love and presence. How do I get connected to that? It makes a difference when the person is grounded in that. The whole room shifts. And I was not always able to do it. In ministry so often we learn to put on a professional listening face, but we're not really listening. We're impersonating someone who is listening. Every person longs to hear the particular melody of their life. Every person longs to see the beauty of their life reflected back. But in order to hear that melody, in order to see that melody, we need to hear it. We need to see it from those around us. To love someone is to reveal the beauty of that person to themselves. Let me say that again. To love someone is to reveal the beauty of that person to themselves. So when I am in the presence of people, I am trying to pay attention to the particular struggle that they are engaged in, to their particular gifts, to their particular sorrows. I am trying to let them know in quiet, often subtle ways that I see them, that I hear them, and I mirror back what I see and hear partly so that they can check it with me and say, no, it's not that I'm sad. It's just that I'm really worried. And I can say, oh, worried about what? And I can, they can say, my dad doesn't know what he wants to do for his job. And I'm worried that he's going to be depressed. What are we doing? And what is really happening to us? What is the transfiguration? We're working that muscle of turning attention from our own concerns, our own worries and placing it outward in a kind of open stance to see and hear. The first act of love is giving our attention. We are in a posture of giving our attention, of willingly surrendering our attention to the people, the very people in front of us. There are two signs that we're centered and not falling asleep in the way that the disciples were in our passage. Two signs that we're centered or that we're in our own souls. The first is that we're curious. We're genuinely curious about the other person. The second is that we feel a sense of compassion and empathy. Your own heart is transparent to whatever is going on in the other person in front of you. Joy, you are susceptible to feeling the joy of that person. You were smiling and laughing with them. Sorrow, that sorrow penetrates within you. If we look back over our faith lives, the transforming moments, the transfiguring moments, the moments where our faces lit up and changed, 
were moments where someone else wanted to hear our story, wanted to listen deeply to us, and who wanted to see us in the light of love, who was trying to position themselves in such a way that they could hear the soundings of our souls, that they could see our face and perceive it deeply. So this is the space we're in this morning, trying to figure out what the heck transfiguration really means in our practical day-to-day -day lives. First step is being able to allow the divine therapist, allowing the divine presence, spending time with that generous presence to make us, to put us, to position us, to change our stance, to shift our agenda, right? So that the light of our own faces can be seen and we can see the light of other people's faces reflected in our own. We're kind of useless if we go from, an anxious, from the anxious drivenness of our world, then running into the anxious drivenness of our churches and our schools and our ministries and our communities. We have to stop and slow down and allow ourselves to be recalibrated, to be reset towards true north before we can have that patience and kindness within us. Now, just as the end of our passage in Luke 37 through 43 shows all of them coming down from the mountain, right? Getting on the ground, down on the ground, Jesus, can you help me, right? My mother used to say, there's no religion, there's no theology, there's no ideology that is more important than the human person and of the creation that upholds the human person. No theology, no ideology, no respectability, no conventionality, no thought, no thing that is more important than the human person and the creation that bears human persons up right? So we stop running in drivenness. We stop and slow down and allow ourselves to be calibrated, to be reset towards true north before we can have that patience and kindness within us. What is true north? Love. What is salvation? Becoming love. Have we seen the Lord, do we see the Lord with his face shining in a story? Yes, possibly. In our lives together, absolutely. What are we talking about? We're talking about these thin places, right? All of us, one way or another, are after having an experience with the living God. We've had enough explanations. We've had enough exegesis. We've had enough hermeneutics. We want an experience with the living God. The careful process of mounting dead butterflies on pins, we don't want that. We want to come face to face with the real thing. And so we're talking about places where the veil 
between this world and the next is so sheer that it is easy to step through. Faces, faces. I close with this. Emmanuel Levinas, an ethicist and philosopher, the late Emmanuel Levinas, talked about faces, right? The faces of other people as being creative interruptions, jarring moments. And what he said was, there is an irreducible alterity or an irreducible mystery to the human being. We cannot be reduced. We don't respond to each other based upon commonality or a sense of togetherness, but we're extended from one person to another through an epiphany of the face. What is that passage? They looked at Jesus while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. It's more than a physical countenance. It is literally the vulnerability, the nakedness of that very body. The face is the expression of the, the trace of the infinite, the trace of the holy that exists beyond any possibility of my conceptualization, my theorizing, my thematicizing, my categorizing. The face at once reveals the irreducible mystery of the other while at the same time revealing her unique particularity and strangeness. The way in which the other presents herself exceeds the idea of the other in me. We name her face. The face of the other at each moment destroys and overflows the plastic image. The face speaks beyond the economic, social, religious, and cultural categories that make up our systems of exchange and reveal its vulnerability to me as it commands. Thou shalt not kill, love thy neighbor. What can we do in this time, in this place, in this era to see to witness the full humanity, the full flourishing, the full aliveness of every person in front of us. And we be transfigured as we watch them be transfigured. Can we believe it? Can we conceptualize that we could see each and every person that we see every time we see them, we see them new, new brand new. This, my friends, is what I call transfiguration. Amen.